Well, good morning, Crossword, and welcome to Crossword Online. It is great to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, this is the last time that we are going to be doing the pre-recording for uh, for a while and hoping as things uh, unfold in the future that we will be able to continue to meet uh, face-to-face. But uh, we will continue to have recordings, but they will be of the live meetings as we come together. Um, so for those of you that are at home and have not yet... Uh, ventured out uh, and uh, joined us, we do encourage you to uh, try. And if you are ready to do so, uh, we will, yeah, we long to see you again face to face. But if you're not there yet, please know that we are still thinking of you and that the videos are going to still be available, uh, just that we will be airing them a little bit later <clears throat> in the week. But uh, as for this week, we are closing off uh, the section of Psalms. Uh, we ending with Psalm 41, which is a closure to the first book of Psalms, as well as, as I said, to the uh, pre-recordings. Um, but it's uh, fitting. It marks a nice shift as we move into October, as we move into a new space, as we move into lockdown one. Uh, and a number of things just seem to be uh, yeah, changing in one sense. So I hope that you are already encouraged, but uh, even more so encouraged to hear God's word this morning and to see how incredible uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is as we do so. But before I begin, let me pray for us and we will take a look at the passage. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together. We thank you that uh, for so long we have been able to still connect in some way or form, at least uh, sharing your word and to, yeah, Lord, be able to grow and wrestle with uh, your word in the midst of so many hardships and difficulties in life. And as we turn to the psalm this morning, we see yet again it's another circumstance of turmoil and struggle and difficulty and how <clears throat> your word highlights even those kind of things and how your psalmist uh, handles this context that he is in and also just to see the incredible picture that you have painted for us as we today look at your word and see how it is in, how it is fulfilled through Jesus Christ and what a joy it is to turn to your word this morning and we pray that you will speak to us through your word and we pray this in Jesus name amen Great. Well, as I said, we are looking at Psalm 41 this morning. So let me read that for us and we'll get underway. Psalm 41. For the director of music, a psalm of David. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. <clears throat> I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But 
May you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up, that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. So this is the psalm that we are looking at this morning. Quite an incredible psalm to end off the first book of uh, of the psalms. <clears throat> so the first book being uh, Psalm 1 through to Psalm 41. And what is incredible about the psalm is just to notice how it begins. Obviously in light of everything that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks, it seems like the psalmist has just gone into this pit and he's worked his way down, and it seems like he's now actually coming out on the other side. And this this psalm really seems to capture that that he has now come, he has arrived at the other side of the pit. <clears throat> As for where the psalm begins, it gives us a bit of an indication of where the psalm's mindset, psalmist's mindset is. Beginning there in verse one, he said, "Blessed are those who have regard." for the week. Now obviously if you listen to the psalm you see that the psalm kind of picks up on a level of weakness that David the psalmist has. Uh, he seems to be sick, ill. Um, there's obviously a lot of debate about what was this sickness, what was taking place. We don't have any record of it. So is it really David? But we're not going to get into the details of that argument. Uh, for us today to understand that this is a psalm that's ascribed to David. So it is a psalm that is highlighting at least David's position perhaps on something uh, and his whether we know about the sickness or not doesn't mean that David wasn't sick it is possible that he was sick um, we don't need to have all the facts and details but as the psalm highlights uh, and as one or two other do highlight there is indications that there was sickness around and perhaps this is an aspect of where David was sick in his life as well as the other psalms but Psalm 41 highlights Start by this by looking at what does it mean to be blessed. So blessed are those who have regard for the weak. Uh, and so the psalmist begins by highlighting this. And so what David does for us as we look at the psalm is he calls upon God essentially saying, God, you bless those um, that have regard for the weak. And I am weak. Um, but in the same sense, he's also saying, but I've had regard for the weak. So consider me. So this is interesting. Seems to be a bit of a play behind the words that he is using. And the psalm is constructed in a very clever way. So using words very, very shrewdly and, and cunningly, if you want to put it that way, uh, to convey a certain idea. And it leaves you wondering what exactly does perhaps does David mean when he says this. Uh, there's a couple of places where we might pick that up. As for the structure of the psalm, just to get an idea, the psalm begins with a blessing and unpacks what that blessing looks like. There's a number of things actually highlighted as to how the person that is blessed by God, what he looks like. <clears throat> and that's conveyed in the first three verses. Verse 1 to 3 is a unit, and we see how God uh, looks to those that uh, that regard the weak, that look after the weak. And then from verses 4 all the way down to 10, we have this this idea, we, what you might see at first glance is the, that David is sick. He's on his sickbed. People are wishing he would die. Even his own people that have shared food with him, uh, shared his table or bread with him, uh, even they have turned against him, turned their heel against him uh, and have disregarded him. 
But what's incredible that we need to just notice at what makes that a unit is picking up in verse 4, says, I said, have mercy on me, Lord. And then in verse 10, it says, but may you have mercy on me, Lord. So what encapsulates that section of the psalm is really this idea of uh, the psalmist crying out to God to have mercy on him in the midst of his suffering and and sickness that is possibly brought about by his sin, uh, which he confesses, uh, and also just the affliction under the hand of his enemy. And then the final section uh, we find in verse 11 to 13, which kind of bookends like what the first section did, comes to this last section, says, I know you are pleased, um, As he says, I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. So his enemy is not triumphing over him, very much in the similar vein to uh, what is blessed, uh, the person that is blessed. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. So where the blessed person has regard for the weak, uh, his enemy, in this case, has not triumphed over him. He is still alive. So that kind of gives us just a bit of structure. So 1 to 3, uh, 4 to 10, and 11 to 13 kind of breaks the psalm up. And it's nicely packaged if you really just go and explore the language in each of those sections. Uh, 1 to 3 in contrast with 11 to 13. And then the middle that's got its own little bookends at 4 and 10. That kind of looks at mercy. So the psalm really is about being blessed, but ultimately it's about God's mercy. Um for us to pick up on that is going to help us to understand where the psalmist is going. Uh, this is a psalm about God's mercy over his uh, over David. Uh, and so we are, need to ask the other question is, well, who is David? And yes, we know David is the king. David is a Messiah and he is God's chosen king for Israel. And this is important for us because these are the words coming from the king's mouth saying, I am Not only am I an Israelite, but I am also your king, your appointed one. I'm your anointed one. I'm the one who is your mouthpiece to your people. So God, show mercy on me. Because in a sense, if God shows mercy on David, then David will show hopefully mercy on Israel. Uh, Being their king, being a merciful king, uh, as he receives from God, he gives to the people. That is the dynamic, at least the picture that we receive of what a king should look like. A king that is chosen by God should be God's mouthpiece. So if the psalmist, like David, cries out here and says, have mercy on me, the default should be that he will have mercy on others. So this is very interesting. He highlights the fact that he's also a sinner, um, right in verse 5. Sorry, in verse 4, he says, have mercy on me. Uh, Lord, heal me, for I have sinned against you. And then he ends off in verse 10. May you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. Now, what's interesting about that repay is it's vague, intentionally vague for us because we don't know what exactly David means. But the word is vague enough to say uh, repay in the sense of a positive or repay in the sense of negative. So it could be either a vengeful thing or it could be a <clears throat> gracious thing, a mercy thing. And so the very conclusion of this of this section of the psalm kind of leaves us in question about what is David's intention. But before we go any further, let's just highlight some of the things on the outskirts of the psalm that really gets the tone of the psalm for us. 
Let's read verse 1 to 3 again. It says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desire of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. Now there's quite a number of things that the Lord does to those that are blessed. And those that are blessed are those that consider the weak. Listen to all of these things. Let's just list it. God delivers them. It's the first thing that God does. He delivers them from trouble. He uh, protects them and preserves them. So it's delivers, protects, preserves. He counts them among the blessed. He counts them. Um, he doesn't give them over to their foes. So there's preservation, uh, further sort of preservation of sorts there. And the Lord sustains and he restores so this is an incredible picture. If you have this picture, at least in your mind, where the psalmist starts, it gives us a good understanding of the psalmist's view of who God is. God is a God who will deliver. He will protect. He will preserve. He will uh, count. He will sustain. He will restore. I mean, these are some incredible images that we can see of who the psalmist understands God to be. On the other end of it, 11 to 13, I know that you are pleased with me, he says, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. So there is this understanding of his position before God, that God, when he, when God favor someone he upholds them in that sense so i know that you're pleased with me for my enemy does not triumph over me which highlights again what he said in the first section in uh, verses one to three because my of my integrity you uphold me that's because of my my not just integrity but righteousness my my good standing uh, you uphold me and set me in the in your presence forever now that's quite incredible that the psalmist says that that he understands that he has a place uh, in God's presence forever based upon who he is. And then he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And so he ends the psalm in a declar declaration of praise to God, which is really beautiful. So you have this understanding of who God is, this declaration of praise to God because God upholds uh, his those that he considers to have integrity who God has chosen to be righteous all of those kind of things he upholds but in the middle uh, you still have the psalmist who is very human like you and me uh, who cries out for mercy in the midst of sickness in the midst in the midst of his enemy in the midst of the betrayal of his closest of companions and friends and here he cries out to God for mercy, saying, have mercy on me. And then, as I said in the beginning, in a massive sense, as he cries out for mercy, he says, consider me because I've been one that has had mercy on the weak, those that are lower uh, and weaker than me. And so this is actually quite a quite an interesting and beautiful play uh, on uh, how David has constructed the psalm. The psalmist is echoing this point. So that's helpful for us just to pick up on those notes. But to get into the real meat of it, what what do we do with this kind of psalm today? 
As I said already, this is a psalm by the king of Israel. So there's a level to which we are disconnected from it. Because for David to do it, and for me to do it, is two different things. For David to say what he says in the psalm is crucial to who he is. It is crucial to him being the king of Israel, to be the mouthpiece, to to lead Israel uh, according to who God is, and to help them to see and to love God all the more. Whereas, uh, for me today, I am slightly less worth, in a sense, if I can put it in that sense, I'm not the king of Israel. I'm not even a leader of Israel. Uh, I am just another person that is part of the church of God's people. But uh, it doesn't disqualify me from the importance of the psalm and what it means for me today. So, how do I fit into this? Well, let's go and take a look at what Jesus says uh, and how he handles the similar kind of topics. Uh, so, what does the psalm, is perhaps a question we need to ask, what does the psalm sound like uh, at face value? The first thing that is mentioned, uh, which is so interesting because Psalm 41 begins like something that we have heard. Uh, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. So maybe your first thought when I started reading the psalm was, oh, it sounds like what Jesus said with the Beatitudes. So let's actually flip there and just read some of the Beatitudes or read all of the Beatitudes and hear the language of what uh, what that looks like. Listen to what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you so uh, actually really incredible because there's so many aspects to what jesus says here that you can actually see in the psalm so let me just highlight a few. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to be hard-pressed and to be at the point where David is writing the psalm, perhaps he is exactly embodying that kind of dynamic. He is poor in spirit. He's crying out for God for mercy because he cannot carry on any longer. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. To be sick and in the condition that David seems to be in the psalm, he's mourning. There is a level to which that in itself is mourning. And he says, uh, Jesus says, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Now, meek is with, uh, with stra- restrained power. doesn't mean weakness, but it means the ability to do something and not to do something. And David, in this position, he is a king, though he is sick, uh, it seems, that he is a figure of kingship, of power. And he could go and eradicate whoever has wronged him. But if you go and look at David's life, at least the story of his life, there is few and far between where he seems to infringe on that role or doing anything that contradicts that. David as a king through his life never puts the blade uh, outright um, and with 
not too much questioning, but with absolute intent on killing his own. He never goes out to kill a fellow Israelite. Um, there may be areas where it's a bit vague and perhaps he does seem to do it. And that may be the issue of David's sin. But on the bigger picture of who David is, he, he looks after his people, after Israel as a nation. So in his power that he has, he never uses it against his own people. And so uh, that's just an example of a sense of meekness. And he says, Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Um, verse uh, 6 <clears throat> Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness At the end of Psalm 41 you hear how he talks about his integrity And so there is, I think, ingrained in that integrity This this righteousness, this desire for righteousness uh, Verse 7 of, of Matthew 5 You hear uh, what Jesus says uh, that resonates really strongly with Psalm 41. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And so the argument of the psalm, at least in Psalm 41 as well, would David show mercy toward those that he shed, uh, that the, the enemies as well as his close friend who turned against him? Would he show mercy against them? Well, the suggestion is that if you look at David's character, it is possible that he would show mercy where mercy is needed. And so... What is vague about it is that it, if it is an enemy that is outside of Israel, it is possible that he will repay what is due uh, if they are coming against David as a king, as God's representative. Then what would be right, in a sense, is to challenge that. But for the bigger picture, he cries out for mercy, and it would be suggested that most likely the vagueness of the psalm leaves us to hope and assume that David would show mercy himself as well. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then he says, uh, Jesus says in verse 9, Blessed is the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So if the psalmist, if David goes in the right direction, he will be a peacemaker. He will try and be peaceable about what he does. And then blessed are those who persecu are persecuted. And he unpacks that uh, in the psalm where in the heart of the psalm you feel that David is persecuted in his sickness uh, by his enemy in the midst of his circumstance. And so, yeah, it just so much of the Beatitudes is encapsulating some of the aspects of what's happening in Psalm 41. But it leaves us to ask the question, well, what, what really happened? Did David do what was right or wrong? Well, we don't have the answer to that. As we know, David is a king. Uh, he's the king of Israel, but he is also fallible. He's not perfect. Uh, and he's also a Messiah, but he is not the Messiah. He is not Jesus Christ. And here you have Jesus using these words, and they are so profound and so rich and so true. Uh, for us today as Christians, we understand them to some degree and we grasp them. But as we look at David, as we look to Jesus, and then we look to ourselves, we see that we are so much perhaps like David in some regard that we fail and fumble and we struggle to do what is right. I mean, just going further in Matthew 5, you've got, uh, you've got Jesus that carries on by teaching and he says this, You have heard... That it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If any 
anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, uh, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so you get this picture. It's not about you know, paying evil with evil, but instead, instead of giving back evil, give back good. Uh, do what is actually countercultural. And Jesus challenges us to look at that and say, you know what, is that how I do things? Do I respond with wickedness because people have been wicked toward me? And so Jesus challenges that culture, that thinking. It's not an eye for an eye. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, I'm going to flip this on its head. You thought it's about justice. I'm going to show you it's about mercy because what I've come to do is about this. I do not give you what you deserve. I give you the opposite. I give you something far greater. And Jesus really demonstrates that through his life. And we see that demonstrated for us in John, uh, in John 13. And I'm going to read that for us. Listen to these words in John 13. I'm going to pick it up, um, just picking it up there in verse 12. Listen to these words. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a, uh, a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So just pausing there, Jesus had just finished washing the feet of all the disciples, all 12 of them. And Judas was in the midst of them. And Jesus, knowing that one would betray him, that Judas would betray him, ultimately, he still washes his feet. And so he gives the opposite of what you would expect. We know the story, we read it, and yet he still just, he serves and he shows mercy and grace and love toward uh, yeah toward people people that we would say doesn't don't deserve it and then he says at the end of verse 17 as we read now that you know these things you will be blessed if you do them so to live out as the psalm begins in psalm 41 it says blessed are those who have regard for the weak and you kind of look at it and you're going well jesus is just echoing that further but then he takes it one step further in verse 18 and listen to these words. He says, I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. And so Jesus actually sits here with his disciples and he quotes saying this fulfills what Psalm 41 has said. The one whom I share my bread with has turned against me, has turned his heel against me. 
And this is a cry for mercy. Uh, well, it becomes a cry for mercy. As he has washed the feet of uh, his enemy, Jesus embodies the psalmist in Psalm 41. And his cry for mercy is so beautiful. Because as Jesus is then, as a result of what Judas has done, he is led to the cross and he is crucified. And on the cross, he cries out the most incredible cry of mercy, not for himself. He cries out for mercy in the Garden of Gethsemane, but God doesn't answer that one. He cries out for mercy on the cross and he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they have done. The cry for mercy is not for vindication for those that have uh, spoken ill of him, persecuted him, pierced him. But instead, it is for mercy for those that are in his company. This is what the true king looks like. The true king, the true Messiah is one that not only recognizes the, the absolute disconnect and destructive nature of people, but comes in and says, Lord, have mercy. The psalmist cries out for mercy for himself. But I think what's so beautiful is that as a king cries out for mercy like David, he is able to then show mercy. But what I think is so beautiful is Jesus is the greater king. He is, he is the Messiah who in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his death, in the midst of all that he endures on the cross, he cries out not for mercy for, for himself, but he cries out for mercy for those that are doing what they are doing. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they do not know what they have done. This is the king. This is a king far greater than David, and he fulfills a psalm, the Psalm 41 far greater than what even David could do it. <clears throat> David could be a representative. David could lead us down the road that points us to Christ. But when you see Christ, he just takes the psalm to a whole new level. And so, Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them. So when you have regard for what Christ has done, in his weakness, we find our strength, that the Lord will deliver us in the midst of that, that the Lord will protect us and preserve us in Christ, that in Christ and his death and resurrection, we are counted among those who are blessed, not only in the land, but all the earth, as Jesus said in the, Be in the Beatitudes. And he does not give us over to the desires of our foes, the Lord will sustain us, even in our sickbed, and he will restore us from our bed of illness. That may be physical illness, it may be spiritual illness, it may be sin, but he will restore us. Not in the flesh, not right now, is what I mean, but as the psalmist ends. Because of my integrity, you uphold me. Because of actually Christ's integrity, you uphold me, we can now say. And set me in your presence forever. That's where he restores us. That's where he places us. And then we respond. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for the psalm. We thank you for the good news of seeing how Christ Jesus fulfills the psalm like this. We thank you that we can declare that we are blessed under your son, Jesus Christ, the true king, the true Messiah, the one that has rescued us from the pit and you have saved us into your your kingdom, into your family. And so, Father, I pray that this psalm may resonate in us and leave us in absolute praise and awe and wonder of who you are today and that we may recognize and declare it forever and ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that you have a wonderful day rejoicing in Jesus Christ, who is the perfect King, the perfect Messiah, the the one who brings about the blessing of eternal life through his death and resurrection. And I pray that this will, yeah, this will transform you from within. Have a lovely day and we'll see you all soon. Cheers, bye.